Good morning, City Light. My name is Mo, and I am one of the pastors here. Uh, and it's always a great day to worship Jesus and hear from his word, right? Like, that's why we come. We come to hear from God, encounter the Lord Jesus himself, and uh, to hear from his word, because we need instruction, guidance, and leadership. And so where do we primarily get that from? Well, we get that from the word of God. And so if you have a Bible, I hope that you do, uh, open it up to Jonah chapter 3. If you don't own a Bible, man, we have gifts for you. It's a beautiful paperback book. Uh, that is a Bible, uh, and you can have that on your way out. It's in a bookshelf in the connection area. Love that for you to take that as a gift from us. Well, so uh, when we first set out to plant this church, uh, Austin and I kind of were called into like this really challenging summer. Basically, we had to spend every single day, we were meeting with people constantly to say, oh man, who's going to be a part of this family that God is cultivating? And so basically the rule was don't eat alone. So breakfast, lunch, dinner, and any meals in between, we made sure that we met with people to invite them into the vision of what Jesus has called us into and, and see who would be a part of our family. And, and we didn't really know who that would be, and it was hard, and, but yet it was fun for both us and our families as we did that. But um, it was a beautiful thing because Jesus started to build his church. Like, it was two years ago. We didn't have a building. We didn't have any money. We didn't have any people. Like, we had some people, but we didn't have a lot of people. And we just had no idea what was going to happen, but yet God and his sovereignty and his beauty has blessed us, right? Like we have this wonderful church. We have two locations going, so we're reaching multiple parts of the city. Uh, we have a building, which is helpful because it has AC in it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just God has just done immeasurably more than what we could ever imagine or even ask for from him. And so during this time, though, I, I, I met a couple. Uh, and this couple is a really special couple. Uh, they, they asked me if they can meet with me and talk with me about this church that Jesus is planting. And the beautiful thing about all of that is, is that Jesus was not drawing people to himself or to me or to Austin, but he, he was drawing people to his own church that he was wanting to, to plant here. And so this couple that I'm referring to that I remember, they... They, I call, they called me up. I talked to them on the phone. They were like, hey, would you like to go out to Hai Chai with me? So for those of you who don't recognize what that is, that's Hai V with Chinese food. So anyway, uh, the, the couple's name is Gary and Joy King. They're an amazing couple. They invited me out to, to breakfast there, or, or not breakfast, sorry, Hai Chai. Uh, and uh, when they invited me, they showed up, I would presume probably early because they're responsible adults. And so they, they sit in their seats and they're waiting. And, and then they waited. And then they waited. And then about 30 minutes go by, and I'm still not there. And so they send me a text message. That makes sense, right? Send the guy a text message, and then they waited. I didn't respond to that text message. Uh, and then they waited, and they waited. I think it was probably about an hour, and then they gave me a phone call and said, hey, sorry we missed you. They were super gracious on the phone. They were, sorry we missed you. Uh, looking forward to meeting with you. We'll try to just reschedule later. And then two hours go by, and I see this message in this phone call, and then I don't respond. So, like, I don't really know what was going on in my head, but, like, I just did not know how to respond to a text message and phone call at the moment. Like, I, my head was not attached to my body. I don't know. Had an out-of-body experience. But anyway, they finally got a hold of me, and I apologized profusely for being the world's greatest flake. And uh, they accepted my apology. They, they gave me a second chance and said, okay, we're going to give this guy a second chance. Don't know why, but they're gonna be, they were gracious, right? So we, we sat down, and as we sat down, um, they kind of said, like, hey, if we're going to be a part of this church family, we're going to be 100% invested. And, and if I remember correctly, Joy uh, in this couple uh, said something very profound to me. She said, if you want someone who's just going to sit in the pew on a Sunday morning, if you want pew sitters, we're probably not your people. 
which cracked me up and like also encouraged me. I'm like, glad. They're not just going to come fill up a seat, but they're actually going to plug all the way in. And, and the truth of the matter is, true to their word, they've done that. Like our church would not be the same without this couple, Gary and Joy King. Uh, they plugged all in. They pushed all their chips in. They serve on Sunday mornings. So you'll see them serving coffee together. They're greeting people. Uh, they help lead and steward and serve my city group um, that I'm in. They, uh, Gary is actually on our advisory team, so he helps make decisions for our church. Uh, and then both of them disciple people in huddles, and then they give generously. Like, they financially plug all the way in. They leverage their finances for God's mission here at City Light Church. And so, th th I mean, this couple has had a huge impact on our church, had a huge impact on me because they gave me a second chance, right? Like, they, they allowed me a second chance for our church to be blessed uh, by their gifts, their talents, and the, and the joy that they literally bring into the room when they come in. And so uh, that's what Jesus is doing. And, and as I really thought about it, I really realized that that they showed me Jesus' grace, right? They, they showed me what Jesus' grace looks like. So, so like Gary and Joy, God the Father graciously actually gives us multiple chances uh, to, to have an impact, to have an influence on people's lives. And so he continues to graciously pursue us in that. And that's what we're going to see reflected in Jonah's story here, right? As we go through Jonah's story, we're going to see that God continues to pursue Jonah and gives him a second chance uh, to, to impact people, to have an impact. And so if you're in the room and you're thinking, man, I've messed up too much. God can't use you. If you're thinking, no, last weekend that was probably overstepping. And so now God won't or cannot use me. Man, I want you to follow along with me with Jonah's story because I think, I think that should be good news to us all to see what happens with Jonah. So look with me at the first two verses of chapter 3. Uh, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. And so, so the first observation that I want us to see is that God's consistent call and our second chances. God's consistent call and our second chances. So, so these verses right here actually literally mark the middle part of this book, the halfway point. You see this very distinct transition. You went from Jonah rebelling against God to now Jonah obeying God and God giving him the same call a second time. You see, the God's call to Nineveh stayed the same. And if you were to look at the verses 1 and 2 in chapter 1 and the verses 1 and 2 in chapter 2 and, and see these, you will see reflected that God's call never changed. His call for Jonah was a call for Jonah to go to these people. But the interesting thing about that is that this wasn't in isolation. It wasn't just for Jonah, but this was also a call to, to Jonah's people, Israel. You see, God is also speaking to, speaking this story to the people of Israel saying, hey, pay attention. This wasn't an isolated thing. It was like, see you later, Jonah. Glad you're going out reaching people. No, it was a message reminding Israel, telling them, hey, this is what I've called you to. This is what I'm bringing you into. And so, so, so when you look at this story, it's not just about Jonah. It's actually about God pursuing his people to pursue other people. You see, in Genesis 12, God's establishing his people, Israel. He's, he's creating his people. So he's, he goes after this guy named Abraham, and he tells him, this is what I want you to be and do as my people. It's Genesis 12. I'll read it. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from the, your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I, sh I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. Listen to this. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whom... In him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God says, the reason why that I'm making you, the reason why I'm gathering you together as my people is so that you would what? Be a blessing to who? All the families of the earth, all the nations, everyone, all tribe, tongue, and nation would be blessed because these people know God. 
And so if you were to, to scan the rest of the Old Testament and you watch after Genesis 12, what happens? There's this cycle of God constantly pursuing his rebellious people to go after other rebellious people and be a reflection of God's glory on them. Like that's what you see is God's consistent call throughout all of Scripture. He's constantly giving them second chance after second chance after second chance to continue to pursue other people that don't walk, talk, or look, or vote like them. You see, God chose Israel as his people, not because they were something special, but because they could display God's glory to other people, that they could invite other people to have a relationship with God like they had. That's why he called them out. You see that? You see that God's call on Jonah was also the call that he has on Israel. That mission that he has, it actually stays the same. It's consistent throughout all of Scripture. And so if, if you were to ask a Christian or a person who attends church on a regular basis, what's the primary call of the church? Like, you would probably get a lot of different answers, right? Like, if you say, what is the primary call of the church? You're going to get a bunch of answers, but I think you're going to probably get three primary answers from people. One of them is going to be, the primary call of the church is community. So the church is a group of people who come together and they, they have similar values and similar beliefs. And so they all share that together and they kind of have this hodgepodge of people. And the, the church is formed to create activities and programs for those people to gather and to be able to have authentic community, maybe listen to a decent little sermon and sing some songs, right? Like that's, that's, that's one of those answers that you're probably going to get. Or another answer you're going to get is, is to sing songs to God. Right? Like we're going to sing songs that are theologically rich in this community of God toward God. And, and that makes sense because, well, that's the central component. One of the central components of what we'll continue to do off into eternity is we will sing songs to God with angels in heaven. Beautiful. Or you'll get an answer. Well, it's the church's job to teach the Bible. Right? Like, like it's, it's the church's job to teach the strength in the believer and their knowledge, their understanding, the wisdom of what Scripture has to say, teaching believers to do what the Bible says, to obey it, and also to use their spiritual gifts for ministry and, and, and for mission. Right? Like, that, that's, that's usually the answers that you're going to get. And, and let me tell you this. All of those things are biblical and good. And if you're on a church search right now and your first time here, those are the things you should look for in a church. Like they should be teaching the Bible. They should be singing songs that are theologically rich and robust, and they should have opportunities for community. But those things in and of themselves together or separately aren't the primary call of God on his church. Listen, the primary call for a believer, a follower of Jesus, and a body of believers who follow Jesus is to glorify God. That's the primary call. And the way that God manifests that, the way he has chosen to manifest his glory through us is through mission. That's the primary avenue by which he wants to use that. Psalm 96.3 says it this way. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. You see that? You see, community, teaching the Bible, singing songs, all are good things. And they're a means of training, equipping us uh, into ultimately glorifying God with the goal of mission as, as part of that. You see that? Matthew 28, so, so this is the Great Commission, right? So we know, some, some of us know this command by Jesus. It's, it's right before he ascends into heaven. He's talking to his, his, his disciples, and it's a very similar quote as Genesis 12. Here's what he says. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, so this is Jesus, right? Like he, he's about to leave his people. The last command that he gives them, the last commission, the last thrust of things that he gives them, it says, go therefore and be a blessing to all nations. Go therefore and make disciples. Go and share me with other people. Church, when you look at your Bible, it is one book with one mission and one hero, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And he's called us to go with him in this mission of sharing that with other people, to share Jesus with other people. And so when you see Genesis 12 and you see Matthew 28, what you see is the cohesion of God's story calling his people that are broken and rebellious toward other people who are also broken and rebellious. Amen. And, and, and can I remind you just something here? Jesus, when he gave the Great Commission, this was after some things that took place, right? So you remember Judas, who walked with him for three and a half years? Yeah, he turned him over to be killed. And then you remember Peter? He denied him three times, and yet, in the midst of all of that, Jesus still calls him into this, minute, this same commission, right? No, catch this, though. Jesus is on his deathbed. He's being crucified. He's on the cross, bleeding all over the place, and only one of the dudes that had been with him for three and a half years was there. And yet, those same 11 guys that were still present right here at his resurrection, what does he call them to? Go, therefore, and make disciples. Represent me. Show my glory to other people. You see, when he rose from the grave, he did that. And what did he do? He pursued those men who denied him. He pursued those men who turned their back on him. He called them into the mission to come alongside him in reaching other rebellious people just like themselves. That's what Jesus did. And so that, that's the call for us. That's the call for Jonah. When we look at our story here, what we see the call for Jonah is, is taking a broken person and having him go after broken people. In, in other words, God is glorified through his church primarily through us leveraging our entire life toward pursuing other people and sharing the good news that Jesus Christ did, in fact, die and raised in the grave. That's what he's calling us to. He's calling us to participate in that with him, which makes it beautiful, right? Like, that makes God so beautiful if you think about it, right? Like, I myself am a broken person. You yourself are a broken individual, and yet that's a part of God's story is to use what was weak to shame the strong, what was weak to proclaim the strong's name of Jesus. That's a beautiful thing. It makes God so glorious that he would use us as vessels to proclaim his name. It's a wonderful thing that he takes failures to pursue other failures. Look back with me in verse 2. He tells Jonah to arise and go. You see, that the, the, the mission of God isn't done behind a keyboard, but in, with your feet on the ground pursuing relationships with other people. Now, those of you who have blogs and books, which aren't many of you, they have their place, right? Like social media, blogs, books, they have their place. But the mission of God is primarily done about you getting up out of your seat, going outside of your home, stepping outside of your comfort zone and pursuing relationships with people. That's the mission of God. You have to go. You remember, Jonah is going to a people that he has no affection for. In, in fact, they are enemies of Jonah. He doesn't believe that they deserve God's grace, and so he wouldn't normally pursue them, but yet God is still calling this man to pursue those people that don't look like him, talk like him, vote like him, or think like him. And he's still calling us to the same thing. That hasn't changed. That call is still the same. Now, not in our perfection is he calling us, and he's definitely not calling us to perfected people, but he's still calling us nonetheless. We can't escape the call of God to pursue other people in the gospel. And so this last Sunday night, so every single month at the City Light Church, we, we do a prayer gathering, right? We do a, a worship and prayer gathering once a month on a Sunday evening. It's usually the first Sunday of the month. And, and this last week, we did that. And, and so, so we prayed through Acts 17, verses 26 to 27. I want to read it for you so you just know what, what, what we prayed through. It says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, and yet he's actually not far from each one of us. You see, God has placed you and me in every single place that we live, work, and play for that specific purpose. He, he knows where you are because he's placed you there for you to go after other human beings who have been placed throughout all of the world, right? 
in that, when you look at this text, what you actually also see is that he says that he made all mankind from one man, that being Adam. So there's two things that you can draw from that. One, every single human being has equal value, right? Like we are all valuable to God. And then the second thing, we are all equally as sinful as each other, right? Like you see that we all desperately need grace. And so I was talking to a friend this week, and we started talking about like the, the the, the, the thing that Jesus talks about where he says, pull the plank out of your eye before you start talking about the speck in your friend's eyes. And we're like, so, so what does that mean for us when, when we look at that? Well, the thing that, that that meant for us was like, okay, wait a minute. If I understand the depths of my sin, if I understand that my sin not only offends God, but, but it rips his heart apart to see me in my sin, if I understand that, then I can look at another person who has sin with compassion, Right? Like if, if I understand the grace that Jesus lavished upon me by dying on the cross, by continually loving me, well, then all of a sudden I can't help but all the more to say I can generously give apart, impart that grace on other people. Generously. You see, there's a specific reason why you live where you live, you work where you work, and you have the family that you have because God wants to use you for that purpose, to take his grace to other people because we recognize how desperately we need it and we recognize how desperately they need it. See, God called Jonah to a place far from his own people, different than his own people. And for many of us, he's not calling us very far, right? Like he's calling us to our neighbors, our friends, the people that we work with, the, the people that our kids go to school with, the people that we're fellow students with. They might be different, but they're right there. God loves them still the same. They need just as much grace as we do. And, and, and then for, for a select some of you, so listen up. It's not just those in the neighborhoods, but there are some of us who are called to go beyond that. There are some of us that are called to go overseas to different places like Thailand or China or Africa or any other place. And, men, please listen to the call of God in that, right? So, so the grace that we need deeply is not just for us. It's for all people, whether that be the United States or Bangkok. The gospel needs to go forward because we all desperately need Jesus so we can go. Amen? So, so remember this. This has been God's consistent call from the beginning. And he gives us innumerable chances to step out in that call. From person to person that across, across our time, across our weeks, we get all of these opportunities to share God with these people. And so what you see with Jonah is God called Jonah to go and he said no, right? He disobeyed, he rebelled, God sent a storm, then dude ends up in the belly of a fish and then gets spat out on dry land. And so now we get to see Jonah's response after going through all of that turmoil. How does he respond? Let's look at verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. So our second observation that we see here is God's grace to us is grace to them. God's grace for us is grace for them. So so Jonah now heard the word of the Lord. It it emphasized a second time. And rather than rebelling, rather than fleeing, he went. He, he, He left and obeyed God instead. You see, he he didn't let rebellious, his rebellious past stop him from an obedient future. You see that? Like, he didn't let his rebellious past stop him from an obedient future. So, yes, he disobeyed God. He messed up. He sinned. But he didn't dwell on that. He moved on from that and stepped out in faith with with boldness to the challenge that God had given him to go pursue Nineveh. See, Jonah went in the opposite direction of God, and God pursued, rescued, and now restored Jonah right back to the place that he was. You see, if you see the kindness and the grace of God the more faithful we actually start to obey him in this commission, in this command. More, more courageously can we step out in that because we recognize the graciousness of God in that. 
See, we will forsake safety and life if we start to find ourselves that we know that our safety and our life is found in Jesus. We'll forsake it all. In verse 3, we see the boldness of Jonah to go, right? Like, it doesn't say how long Jonah, like, it took for him to get to Nineveh and all those things. But here's what it does emphasize. It emphasizes, again, the parallel between chapter 1 and chapter 2. And you see the, the, the veracity, the, the, the urgency of Jonah fleeing in chapter 1. But then you also see the confidence of him going in chapter 3. See, like, we would identify ourselves as a Jesus-centered church. That's what we are. That means every single Sunday, you're going to hear about Jesus. You might even get tired of Jesus, but he's not tired of you. He's going to keep coming. I promise you on that, okay? And every single day, we, we preach the gospel to each other, and then we teach each other to preach the gospel to ourselves, and so that when we're in the midst of our mess, we remember that gracious message of Jesus, right? Like, that's, that's what it means to be a Jesus-centered church. We were reminded of his grace, and so this should ultimately lead us to not just grace for us, but grace for others, right? Isn't that true? Is it, if this is true, why so often with God's people? So if that's true, why so often are the people that disobey God's command to go therefore and make disciples, not the people that are far off from God, but those that are closest to him? So I'm thinking Jonah, he's a prophet, right? The people Israel, as we see over and over and over again in the Old Testament, and then the church, us, we're people who we proclaim that we understand God's grace so much, and yet we don't readily extend that grace to anyone. It's true, right? Like, think about it. See, like, we have four core values, down, up, in, out, right? So the first one's down, the gospel, God came down to save us, right? Up being formation. Our, our response is to, to become more like Jesus, and, and then we, the, he, he's knit us together as a family that's in and then out the mission of God. And which one of those do you think we struggle at the most? Out, right? Like, that's the, probably the one that we have the most difficult time displaying as a family. Now, listen up. So I don't want to bag on our family because we're actually a wonderful family. If it's your first time here, we're a great family. Like, we do a good job at family. Uh, so, like, we have city groups all over the city. We love each other well. Uh, we, we grow in holiness. We study the Bible together, which is wonderful. We eat together a lot of food, uh, which is awesome, right? Like, we do that well. But one of the gaps that we have continually as a body of Christ, as a family, is the mission of God going out. So, so why is that? Well, I think there's probably three primary reasons that kind of revolve around that as far as the heart struggle in that. I think, one, we don't fully understand the grace of God, right? Like, we don't fully understand what it means that God died for your sins. We don't fully know or understand the grace of God. I think we think we're entitled to it, actually. I think once we kind of receive our get-out-of-hell-free card, all of a sudden I, can, I have the freedom to just do me, right? Well, the problem with doing you is that that didn't find Christ. Christ found you, and it's not going to find Christ for somebody else. you just doing you. I promise you that, right? And so the, the, the gospel came to us because, well, we were rebelling, and we're still rebelling, and we'll continue to rebel. And so we'll still, we, we can recognize that we still need grace upon grace upon grace because we're constantly needing these second chances, and so if we knew how abundant that grace was, we'd know how generously we can be to give that grace away. And so when we understand his grace, then, then, then we know not only how badly we need the grace, we know how badly others need that grace. And, if they, and, and here's the thing. People need God's love and grace. And so if they don't know Jesus, guess what? Your friends, neighbors, and family don't experience or know the love and grace of Jesus Christ. If they don't know him, they don't experience it. Two. We don't take God's word very seriously. So listen up. I am a paid Christian. 
I say that all the time, right? So I get paid to follow and, and teach people about Jesus, right? Like that's my full-time vocation. And I will readily tell you, when you read Matthew 28, the Great Commission, it's a command from God. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's like not a maybe you should do this. It's a like, no, you need to do this because I've called you into that. I can tell you that, and yet I still sin by not obeying it. I'm a paid Christian. I still see that command as an option. And God graciously gives me opportunity, and I graciously forsake that opportunity by saying, well, I don't have time, my schedule's too full, or I just got too many things I got to deal with. And so I, I struggle to obey the Great Commission, and, and so do you, right? Like, like a lot of times our excuses are kind of the same thing. What if they, they feel like I'm awkward when I'm around them? Guess what? They already think you're awkward. It's okay. Um, what, what if I offend them? Well, the gospel's offensive. They killed, we killed God with our sin. That's an offensive message in and of itself, right? Like, so we have those questions. We have the question of like, well, I have all these things that I'm invested in. It's really hard for me to go do that. Or, or what we say is, I have enough things on my plate to worry about than to worry about somebody else's problems. What we're really communicating, though, is that we take ourselves very seriously, but don't take God very seriously. We take the grace that we need very seriously, but not the grace that our neighbor needs. And I'm confessing that I struggle with this, too. I need God's second chances over and over and over again so that I can take the grace that I have and pass it to others. He's pursuing a rebellious people so that we might pursue other rebellious people. Number three, we don't see the heart of God on display. Here's what I mean. When we read our Bibles, we see this either-or God, right? So we either see this God who's, who's angry or, or wrathful, right? Or we see this God of compassion, Oh, we see, we see this God who, who is kind and considerate in the New Testament, and he's just angry and wrathful in the Old Testament. That's what we do. We compartmentalize God as if there's two different kinds of God here. Romans 1.18, this is the New Testament. It says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You see, wrath is a part of God's character. And that's a good thing. He's holy. He's perfect. And we are sinful, and he can't be around it. We got a lot of sin, right? Like, like, let's be honest. We got a lot of sin, and he's got a lot of holiness, and so those things don't go together. But God's wrath is still gracious, right? So, so if you have kids, you, un you can understand this. So we give our kids consequences when they sin, not to punish them. And like, sometimes sinfully we want to. But th that's not why we do it. But, we, but if we're honest, the reason why we give those consequences is so they don't face the ultimate consequences of their sin, right? We want to give them something a little more palatable than the ultimate consequence. Think about it this way. If the kid's playing out in the middle of the street, you don't sit there and say, well, I guess your consequence is going to get you, right? Like, you're not going to let the car hit them. No, you're going to be like, hey, watch out for the car. Get out of the street. Stop playing in the street. I tell kids that all the time driving through my neighborhood. Get out of the street. Like, stop playing in the street. The reason why I do that is because I don't want what they're doing to ultimately lead to a horrible consequence. So, yes, I'm going to yell at you to get out of the street so that you don't face that consequence. Instead, you just face my little bitty wrath instead, right? Like, that, that's when you see that, you can see the graciousness of God in his wrath, that he loves us so much that he doesn't want us to stay where we are because he knows the ultimate consequences to face his wrath forever. That's, that's why he displays it, so that we don't stay there. You see, God's rightful posture towards sinful man is wrath apart from Jesus Christ on the cross, right? Like the, 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 he is so holy and so good, and the only way we can experience that goodness is through Jesus Christ. 
And see, in our text, God sends a storm toward Jonah, right? He sends a storm toward Jonah, which ultimately led to God's compassion. We saw it displayed so clearly, right? Like, you, you see this storm of anger, so to speak, but what happens? Well, he graciously pursues Jonah in that storm, and then he graciously sends Jonah after Nineveh in the midst of that. You see, wrath and, and compassion are not mutually exclusive when it comes to God. They actually work together to display his love. So, so for the person in the room who, who you, you don't follow Jesus, man, can I, can I say that you're in that same space right now? Like the wrath of God is pointed at you. And the only way you get to see the compassion of God is through Jesus Christ. The only way we can see how God's wrath and compassion work together to display God's love is by, replace, by, by, by placing your faith in the truest display of God's love, and that's Jesus Christ. The one who, who loved you so much that he came, died for your sin, and rose from the grave that all you have to do is place your faith in him. The wrath of God is absolved. God is appeased. But not only is he appeased, but he's in a loving, affectionate relationship with you if you just receive that. Now, God's compassion for sinful man is sprinkled throughout all of Scripture. There is no compartmentalization. God is gracious and merciful throughout all of Scripture. He loves us so much, and he wants what's best for us because he created us. He loves us. Let me point out something in our text. God calls Jonah to mission not because he needs Jonah, but because he loves Jonah. You see that? Like he, he didn't call him because he needed Jonah. Jonah is weak. Like I said a couple weeks ago, I would have just left that dude and found somebody else. Like God didn't need Jonah. It is God wanting to display his grace through using Jonah. So Jonah was able to experience more of God. So when we participate with God in the Great Commission, in sharing Jesus with others, well, guess what? We experience become deeper in our relationship with God. A good friend told me one time, he said, when God wants to save people, he saves a person. Look, look at sec the second half of, of verse 3a. It says, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. You see that, that phrase there, uh, great city? Uh, actually, if you, if you literally translate it from the Hebrew, it's a great city to God. Uh, translation, that city mattered to God. God cared about Nineveh, and not just the size and the spectrum, but he cared about the people in Nineveh. He loved that city. So God didn't, didn't need Jonah because he was already present there. He was already in Nineveh. He just invited Jonah along for the ride. He allowed, allowed him to be a part of it. So many of us care so much for ourselves when we're perishing, but we don't care about our neighbors when they are. When we live out the mission of God, we are living out the heart of God. He loved that city. He loves our city. He loves your neighbor. The very character of God is displayed when we go outside of ourselves to share God with other people. See, like when, when we think of second chances, which is kind of the theme of this particular section, we usually think of just God asking again, right? We usually just say, okay, God's just asking again. But remember what Jonah went through, Right? He said no and started to flee, and God sent a storm after this dude, and he almost died before he decided to obey God and turn to God. You see, in order for us to submit to God and obey him in that mission, we simply have to see the fact that he's on mission for us. That's it, that, that he sent Jesus on mission for us. The entire Bible points to God's fulfillment of this mission through the person and work of Jesus Christ, the person who worked out salvation for us. God pursues both us and the people that he wants us to go toward. That's what we get to see. That's what we get to experience. That's what we get to be a part of. See, Jesus came and died on the cross for your sin and my sin 
rose from the grave and said, man, that's the power I send you with, the power that raises from the grave. Jesus', Jesus obedience to this call was, was far more than just going to his enemies away from his homeland to Nineveh. Jesus' call was actually to leave heaven and come to earth in order to die on a cross for us. Like, that's his missional call, not to just simply go speak to a neighbor, which is our call. Jonah uh, 2.9 says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That means that the, the, the pressure's off, right? If the salvation belongs to the Lord, the pressure's off. We get to just come alongside our God, our Father, Jesus, in his mission towards sharing him with other people. It's an it's a, it's a easier call because we have power behind us, right? And so we as City Light Church, man, may we be a people that, that consider the promise that Jesus makes actually at the end of the Great Commission. He says, and lo, I'll be with you always. He's with us in that mission. And so therefore, he's calling us not to something that he's not already at, but with him in something that he's already walking in. Amen? In a moment, we're going to do what we always do every two weeks. And I just want to let you know, this is not like a, a ritual thing that we do here as far as communion is concerned. This is something that we actually take very seriously. Uh, we take it seriously because it's a reminder that Jesus instituted for us to continue to remind us that he's the one that came on mission for us. He's the one that died for us. And so as you come up, if you're a follower of Jesus, come up here as a family member and, and partake of this. But as you're taking the bread and you dip it in the juice, man, seriously, take a moment, just a moment, and remember that Jesus came on mission for you, so therefore we can go on mission for others. Amen? Let's pray.